Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts, In Conversation. Hello and welcome to the December edition of the EVJ Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Morgan. To coincide with the release of the EVJ virtual issue on biomechanics, we've asked Renee Van Weeren and Sue Dyson to talk to us about the recent debate on lameness. This was sparked by Renee's first paper titled, Do we have to redefine lameness in the era of quantitative gait analysis? And the debate went on to discuss the definition of lameness and the gold standards for detection. Renee Van Weeren has been an editor for EVJ and is Professor of Veterinary Medicine at Utrecht University. Sue Dyson is a highly experienced lameness diagnostician, among her many other accolades. They've both joined us to discuss some of the points raised in this recent series of letters. Renee, thank you for joining us on the podcast to um, put your opinion on what you aptly termed the lameness saga uh, across for our listeners. You strongly advised researchers and clinicians in one of your um, letters to discriminate clearly between asymmetry and lameness. Could you tell us how you would define the difference between these? Yes, um, I think if you start with lameness, then lameness, in my view, is a, is a physical sign, uh, is something that is uh, making horse unfit for some kind of competition, uh, and is a problem for which the veterinarian is consulted. Um, and one of the hallmarks of lameness, because there are very hallmarks of lameness, but one of them is asymmetry. And it is uh, most lame horses, there are exceptions, but most of them show some kind of asymmetry. Yeah, but uh, asymmetry, in my view, is one of the physical parameter we can measure. You could compare it with, with fever. Yeah, fever is a rising temperature, but it's a rising temperature that is treated as something that's harmful to the horse, or maybe it's physical peak, or whatever. Yeah, and you can measure it, you can use a thermometer. And then you have your rising temperature. Exactly the same with this you know, symmetry. Asymmetry is an important hallmark of lightness. It's something you can measure. But there are also small increases in asymmetry, like very small increases in body temperature that are not computer and that are not deemed important for the horse or feeding performance or whatever. And so that's the difference. And it also depends not only on the amount of asymmetry or rising temperature but also on the horse itself, the use of the horse, and so on. And so, in my view, lameness is a critical kind of, of, of term, or syndrome, that should be used by clinicians. And one of the things you use the, you use the term for, one of the things you based on, is your asymmetry, which you can measure nowadays more and more accurate with more things. Do you see the difference there? Yes. So you can have a certain degree of asymmetry without having lameness? Without having a physical problem, yes. Okay. And, 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 and I said that can also depend on the horse, on the use of the horse, or whatever. Yes? And do we have these thresholds um, determined yet? Yes, well, here also I think you can compare with, uh, with rising body temperature, which is far more easy everybody is familiar with. Uh, there are what you call normal values for, for the horse, 
Um, and about or outside the brain, is over the brains, because we're always here talking, you should understand here about the biological system. The biological system, there is never one value that's the correct value, it's always a benefit. Okay, the benefit is bigger or larger, and if you go outside the benefits or uh, reference values or whatever you want to call them, yeah, then you're in trouble, and then you go to the pathological side, so there's a problem there. And the same applies for blindness, uh, for asymmetry as a parameter for blindness. There is a benefit, and yeah, outside the brains, and uh, there's a kind of invisible symmetry, and we so call that blindness. So I think we should put this whole thing into the wider perspective of, of how we see biology and the functioning of biological systems. And that's becoming now more important. That was the reason why the historical becoming now more important because we can also now make very subtle languages, or very subtle asymmetry, that you say, which should, in my view, not be classified as language. Uh, and, and in the older days, we even couldn't see them, so we, we wouldn't notice about it. So I believe it was agreed between all authors and contributors that the IMUs outperform the human eye due to better temporal and spatial resolution. So what, in your opinion, um, constitutes the gold standard of lameness detection? The gold standard of lameness detection? Um, I think for the determination or the measurement of the parameters we use in this kind of safety, yeah, and then the, as you say, the most accurate systems are the, the systems you have nowadays, the IMUs, or also, uh, also motion capture systems, well, that's what they Technical, they all perform better than the human eye. So, if we want to talk about the measurement of asymmetry, I think that's the gold standard. But, but then, the, going to the term of lameness, that's what the definition who decides and held by the system in, by which he or she can measure the asymmetry very accurately. But then, seeing the whole of the heart, including the use, the rider, and, and everything whether or not to call it lanes. So in my view, if you talk about those standards or the last word, you talk about asymmetry, then it's system that does, does about it. If you're talking about the use of the lanes, that's what it is. So you could see the inertial measurement um, systems complementing the wider or broader clinical examination of the horse. I think so. I, I was comparing to liberty. Um, there is no equilateral surgeon anymore is not using imaging to, to, to certain extent. And there's, of course, there have been many developments in imaging from the old x ray, we also have, of course, ultrasound with MRI, with CT, and so on. We use also all those uh, uh, sources, uh, the, the tools, uh, to, to improve and, uh, our diagnosis. And it's still efficient making the diagnosis. And, and, and for me, uh, technology is basically the same. It's giving more accuracy, and like an X-ray. Of course, you can see from the outside whether or whether a bone is fractured. But if you have a very complex complex fracture, you cannot feel that. You have to be an accurate for that. Yes. Um, and, and, and and the same here. It, it gives you just more more data that you can use. How do you see the IMUs um, progressing uh, in future? I think they also get by using. Uh, in my view, it will, uh, because the IMU is, of course, very handy and easy to use uh, in comparison to, to the, the older uh, camera systems. 
and so it's a, a very workable skill. So I believe that uh, well, within a couple of years, all uh, let's say specialized equine or field surgeons will use data uh, analysis techniques, uh, are new, basically are new based, uh, for basic reasons, uh, to uh, substantiate also to their diagnosis, but also to, to monitor uh, effects of intervention, to monitor progression of the disease, also to monitor horses for early warning of changes in gait. All those kinds of applications I see that that will be, in my view, will be a perfectly extended. And um, also probably with conversion uh, uh, again. And like there are now no conversion again done anymore above a certain amount of money without imaging. That will be the same in my view of that now. Do you believe that in the future we will depend more and more on them, or that will they will still um, be combined with a clinical examination? Of course, the clinical examination is based on everything, and it definitely remains the same. Um, but of course, the, but the use of the tools in, in, in equine practice, in veterinary practice, also in just medical practice, that will increase further. There are so many centers being developed, developed now. And so there will be a wealth of data yeah, and, uh, at the service of the clinician, to put it like that. And he or she shall use that data to, to refine diagnosis, uh, to, to go to prevention, and, and, and so on. Uh, and I think that that will, and yes, that will certainly improve and improve. One of your comments in, uh, in one of your papers um, suggested that these uh, systems may keep people grounded and stop overconfidence. Um, would, could you expand on this for us? Uh, yeah, this is about the, the, the curve. Uh, uh, the curve showing the increase and decrease in confidence of uh, people starting to practice a certain skill. And it showed that uh, people in the first instance feel very shy and little experience. Then they grow quite rapidly in confidence, too rapidly, and then gradually they come back to a more reasonable level. Uh, indeed, they will help, I think, in, in, in the formation of this learning curve, yeah, to make it a more realistic learning curve, I think. Uh, the, the nice thing of the, the gang analysis systems is that um, they are not biased. And we are all human beings. Also, the more experienced missions, they are human beings. And people are no sexual bias. And also, my own experience, of course, if you think that the lane is located in a federal joint, in a federal joint, you will see the order group. It's known. And so, if you can score that uh, in a classic way, let's say 40% improvement or 50 or whatever, yeah, just uh, by, uh, by subjective evaluation, then you're biased. And, and, and the machine doesn't buy, they will show you the curve before and after. Mm -hmm. And it's not influenced by your bias. And so, that's how it is. So, Renee, what would your take home message be um, from all these to and fro papers and letters? Well, I think my personal message is um, be open for the future, don't be afraid for it, embrace new technologies, but also be aware of the relative value of those technologies. 
in my view, I really agree that it's still the clinician making the final diagnosis and talking to the owner about what to do and so on. But use those technologies to to, to get a good base basis under your under your plan, under your diagnosis, and also don't be afraid to question also, even if you're more experienced, your own skills. You always should be uh, reflected on, on what you're doing, and if you are not getting too oh, confident, I think that all helps in, in improving in the end, it improves in, in your performance, and it will, in my view, also pay out towards the owner. Uh, and it was really what we call evidence-based Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us and giving us some of your time today, Renee. Okay. Well, thank you. So thank you very much for joining to discuss um, what Renee aptly termed the, lame, the lameness saga. Um, it's been debating the terminology of what constitutes lameness, what or who is the gold standard to detect it, and where quantitative gait analysis techniques fit into the modern clinical lameness examination. Could we start by discussing what defines the term lameness, whether it's a manifestation of clinical signs or a manifestation of pain, or simply an asymmetry of the horse's movement? That's a good question. I don't think it's simple to answer, because in essence, the lameness is... Uh, a clinical sign which is a manifestation of the underlying problem. Now, that underlying problem could be pain-induced or it could be in part mechanical, for example, consider fibrotic myopathy. Um, but I also think we have to recognise that there are some horses that have inherent asymmetry, which is neither mechanically induced or pain-induced, because if you look at most people, we do not move absolutely symmetrically. That is how we are. It doesn't reflect pain or a mechanical limitation necessarily. So I think it's not an easy question to answer. But from a day-to-day -day working perspective, my belief is that for me, lameness implies a pain-induced problem that I can potentially improve using diagnostic anesthesia to make the horse more symmetrical by so, relief of the pain. So it was agreed that um, inertial sensor systems outperform the human eye due to better temporal and spatial resolution. What, in your opinion, constitutes the gold standards of lameness detection? Well, I think you have to look at all the studies and look to see who's been involved in those studies and to what extent they have developed their eye. Because I have tested myself and have tested other people against the IMUs, and they can be of similar sensitivity if they have developed the right skills. And I think fundamentally, the skill development is undertaught. And I think you cannot expect as, an un, as a recent graduate to think that you know how to detect lameness. And this is what most people do. And therefore, those people who've gone through no further education are helped by inertial measurement units. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think it is very simple when we have 
a unilateral nameless, that unquestionably the IMUs are likely to give us the most accurate results in terms of the degree of asymmetry. I think if you ask people to grade lameness, and I think lameness grading is hugely important when you're going to be performing diagnostic anesthesia and when you're also communicating with clients and fellow veterinarians. But I think that the lameness grading systems are so variable that there is a lot of inaccuracy in lameness grading. I think the, the detection of the presence or absence of lameness is probably slightly better than that. So I think that for a unilateral lameness, I would have to say that the inertial measurement units are the gold standard. But frequently in the real world, we're not just seeing a, a simple unilateral lameness. We may be seeing a bilateral lameness, a bilaterally symmetrical lameness, or lameness involving both forelimbs and hindlimbs. And then the situation becomes very much more complex, both for looking in conventional ways with our eyes and also for the use of the IMUs. So Adair and colleagues um, stated that asymmetry of bilateral movement is the best and most sensitive indicator of lameness as a clinical sign. That being said, how do you think quantitative gait analysis systems fit into the lameness examination? Well, the, the asymmetry definition relies on the fact that you've got a unilateral lameness. In many horses that I see that are presented for poor performance, uh, they are absolutely symmetrical. And therefore, I don't think it's that straightforward. So consider, for example, the horse that, from a rider's perspective, can't do canter half-pass to the right or can't do trot half-pass to the right or indeed just simply finds difficulty in canter on the right rein. I believe those are pain-induced problems. They are not the conventional lamenesses, but they have to be investigated as if they are a lameness because I think that most of them are indeed lamenesses, although they don't fit into this asymmetry definition. So would you see the IMU systems as having value alongside a whole horse lameness examination? I think unquestionably, assuming that the uh, principal investigator is looking at the horse as well as using the IMUs, of course they are potentially of benefit because they can tell us something extra about the biomechanical adaptations of that horse to lameness. Um, by, for example, looking at withers movement, they can help us in the differentiation between forelimb and hindlimb lamenesses and associated head nods. Uh, but I think one of the problems that I see in the field is people using them without thinking about the history and clinical presentation from the owner. So, for example, relatively recently, I saw a horse which the owner's principal problem is the horse has difficulties in canter. The horse did show a very mild asymmetry in its hind limb gait, which I could see and which had also been previously detected using IMUs. The veterinarian in question had blocked the tarsometatarsal joint in the so-called lame limb and seen measurable improvement, i.e. reduction in the asymmetry. And as a result of that, they diagnosed tarsometatarsal joint pain as the horse's primary problem. They did not evaluate the horse ridden, 
They never evaluated the horse in canter, despite that being the primary complaint of the owner. And not surprisingly, medication of the tarsometatarsal joint made no difference in the horse's ability to canter whatsoever. So I think that it's absolutely crucial that they are used in conjunction with a very careful clinical appraisal. And I would strongly urge people to consider riding horses whenever possible, in addition to the conventional assessment in hand and on the lunge, because I believe that we can learn so much more from the ridden assessment of the horse. One argument Renee used um, in support of these quantitative gait analysis systems um, was that it may keep people grounded and stop overconfidence. Do you agree with this statement? I think by and large, particularly when I've been teaching courses, practical courses, overconfidence is something that I don't see that frequently. I see more people being underconfident because they've not had the most appropriate training as to how to look at the horse and certainly not how to detect low-grade abnormalities. I think from a, an assessment of horses before and after diagnostic anesthesia, that's where I see it fundamentally um, helping to control bias because vets are busy people, they want to get the job done, they want to see improvement, and therefore sometimes they perceive there's improvement when perhaps there isn't improvement. And there certainly the IMUs give you quantitative evidence that cannot be disputed. So to that extent, it does keep people grounded. So what would your take-home message be for us? Fundamentally, look at the horse and look at the horse under as many circumstances as possible and listen to what the rider's complaints are. Look at the horse's behaviour, because I believe that the horse's behaviour is a very strong indicator of the presence or absence of musculoskeletal pain. And I think that that can help us in um, determining whether or not a horse does have underlying musculoskeletal pain. And it can also help us when we're interpreting the diagnostic anesthesia techniques as well, because I would expect the behaviour to improve when the pain is removed. So fundamentally, fine to use IMUs, but use them in conjunction with your clinical appraisal and get further training whenever possible about how best to look at horses. And practice. Practice looking at normal horses as well as abnormal horses so that you can appreciate the different ways in which different types of horses move because if you can't recognize that then when faced with a horse with a potential problem it's more difficult to recognize the abnormality. So thank you for giving us your time this morning. You're very welcome. Thank you again for listening to the EVJ podcast and tune in again in two months for the next episode. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Journal podcast. More on the subjects discussed can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash EVJ.